And Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that there is peace in you. There is freedom in you. There is victory in you. And Father, I pray that all of us who are engaged in worship this morning, God, if, there, if we are withholding anything from you, would you reveal that to us so that we can confess that, so that we can put our hope and trust in you and you alone, that you would be our source. Father, thank you that even in the midst of troubles, you said, take heart, for I am with you and I have overcome them because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's great to see you. You may have a seat. Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 139. The verses that I want to share before we jump into Psalm 139 are amazing verses, and they were taken out of our Bible reading that we did as a church this week, Experiencing God's Power and Presence by Chip Ingram. If you have not had an opportunity uh, to go to YouVersion, uh, Bible.com, and if you're looking for an amazing reading, it is a terrific one. Experiencing God's Power and Presence by Chip Ingram. And it sets us up for all of Psalm 139. We're going to finish that today. But in Psalm uh, 23, verse 4, again, coming out of our Bible reading, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. That even in the midst of the wilderness, you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me. And then he takes us to Psalm 77. And Psalm 77 may become your new best friend this week. Uh, it is an amazing passage. And when you read Psalm 77... Uh, you see this major change of perspective, and let me read the, uh, the ending of it, and then you can catch it uh, earlier th- uh, later on this week. Uh, when the Red Sea saw you, so when the Israelites were being chased uh, by the Egyptians, and they were coming up to the Red Sea, and they had, I mean, they're thinking their life is over, right? And they came to the Red Sea, listen to this, when the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and the waters trembled. What you and I see as death in front of us, when those death things see God, they bow, they tremble. Listen to this. The sea quaked to its very depths. And then this is, uh, this just gets better and better. Verse 19. Our road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters. Is that not just an amazing thing? When our perspective changes, when we begin to look at the power of God, what we see as an end, it says the road that we saw, it it actually led through the sea. Your pathway for us was through the difficulty, through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. Verse 20, you led your people along that road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. Without him, the sea would be death. With him, it is a means to life. And I want to encourage you that your hope is in Christ. Psalm 139 talks about the importance of putting your hope and trust in, your, in God being the core of your life, the very center of your life. Uh, Chip Ingram goes on in the reading. and says, Fearless living 
is a legitimate choice for us because the shepherd is leading us through even the darkest of situations. Pick your shepherd carefully. We all pick a shepherd. And in Psalm 139, he says, Oh, Lord, you are going to be the one, the great I am, the one who was, who is, who will be. That's where my hope is going to be. My hope is going to be vertically, not horizontally. Perspective makes a huge, enormous difference. Uh, He goes on to say, a little problem held very close to the eye blocks everything out of you. All you can see is the problem. But when you exchange the problem for God and you bring God up close and you look at the greatness of God, everything is pales in comparison to God. Again, perspective is what makes the big difference. G.K. Chesterton, an amazing uh, pastor years ago, said this. He said, if we're going to be faithful Christians in our time, in whatever the circumstances, we must figure out how to keep our bearings when the world gets wobbly. Well, I would say we're living in wobbly times, make an understatement. And yet we need to make sure that our hope is in Christ alone. So the four choices David makes to contend for the voice of God, for him to make sure that his life is focused where it needs to be focused, regardless of the wilderness times, regardless of the difficulty times. He chooses his provider. He chooses his, his home base. And we talked about this last week. Who or what you set your hope in? sets the direction of your life because we're all driven by hope. Every person in this room, every person online, puts their hope in something or someone. And you better be careful where your hope lies because it sets the trajectory of your life. David chooses his provider. Secondly, he chooses God's purpose. We saw that uh, in verses 17 and following where uh, he says, From womb to tomb he has a plan for your life. From the very inception, in fact, even before we were conceived, he had plans to give us a future and a hope. Third, we looked at last week, we choose God's presence. Five altering words out of this, I am with you always. What, to me, I just think it's a no-brainer what we need to do. That we put our hope and trust in him. And today, uh, we close out Psalm 139, and the fourth choice that he makes at first, I had to put, I, I put uh, choose to be honest with God after talking uh, through this passage with our founding pastor, uh, Brett Yawn. He used the word raw, and I thought, man, that really captures it. So the idea that David makes in his uh, choice to contend for the voice of God, he chooses to be raw with God. And you're going to see that in living color in just a moment. Found in verse 17, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. Think about this. The creator of the universe is thinking about you. He's thinking about you. It is incredible that he knows all about you. In fact, look how many there are. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They are outnumbered by the grains of sand, and when I wake up, you are still there with me. And he used the word precious. How precious? And it's not that word precious in Hebrew. doesn't mean, oh, how nice. Like you would pat somebody on the head. What a nice little person. That is not how the word translates at all. In fact, in Hebrew it means how heavy, how weighty it is that God, the thought that God thinks about us. It means to esteem, to be highly prized, to be valuable, to be costly, to be appraised. He's saying how weighty it is to know that you think about me. You are never alone. 
I am with you always. You are never alone. God is with you and will never leave you. And how valuable it is for you to know that. How costly it is to know that God loves you and cares for you. You are not alone. The, God, the Lord is aware of every detail of your life. He cares for you and you are continually on his mind. In fact, uh, I said Psalm 77 may become your favorite uh, new friend this week. Maybe verse 18b may become your favorite verse for the week. If you have ever fallen asleep while you're praying, I never have. But I'm sure some of you have. Uh, actually, that happens almost every night. And so I read this verse, verse 18b, and I thought, yes, finally, a biblical rationale to fall asleep while you're praying. And I'm thinking about God's numerous thoughts about me. They are so numerous, you can't even count them. And when I fall asleep thinking about them and I wake up, verse 18b, and when I wake up, you are still with me. The psalmist falling asleep in the midst of his prayers, and yet he wakes up and God says, I'm still here. It's no big deal. I'm with you. I will never leave you. That's huge to know that. I have a tendency that once I become uh, horizontal, I'm out. In fact, basically, I tell Karen, if you have something to say, you need to say it before I lie down. It gets rather dangerous because I hit the sack. Uh, several years ago, Karen tells me the next morning, she said, do you know what you did last night? I said, no. She said, do you remember me asking you a question? And I said, well, yeah. And she said, in the middle of your answer, you fell asleep. I do not remember that. I trust her to tell the truth. This is amazing to say that God loves us regardless of how we operate. His, he thinks about us all the time. And whether you feel worthy of him, he loves you, he pursues you, he cares about you. And even in the darkest of moments, he cares. Then verse 19 comes, and I want to address those of you online. Wait, read ahead. There was conversation about this verse 19 because of verse 19 and following, because it is a crazy set of verses. And so there was this uh, conversation about, are you kidding? What is David doing praying a prayer like this? Look at verse 19. Oh God, if you would only destroy the wicked, get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your, your enemies, they misuse your name. Oh, Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Wow. You talk about powerful and to the point. This is what is called, there are different psalms, and this is part of what is called an imprecatory psalm. Imprecatory psalms were prayers for God to act according to his righteousness uh, based on his laws and his covenants. And it's basically to imprecate means these prayers are the plea of God's people for justice and for atrocities committed against what God would call his enemies. Here's what you need to note. This comes from, uh, uh, let me find a... Uh, Moody Bible Commentary. These psalms may seem unloving and contrary to a biblical perspective. However, they are truthful and transparent expressions by the righteous asking God to act on behalf of his people for his name's sake. The psalmists do not take re re uh, vengeance into their own hands, but pray for God to execute just judgment. 
David does not hide anything from God at all. And what he's saying is, we want God's ways to be lived. That's why when we come to New Cup uh, and other Bible teaching churches, not just here, but we say, what does the Bible say? And what am I, how am I going to align my life to it? What, what am I reading and how do I align my life to what God's word says? And this is a prayer for our nation and pray for the world that we would turn and that God's righteousness would drive the way we live our lives. So until the world changes and aligns, what do we do? I thought, well, it might be good to remind what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43, you've heard that it was said, love your enemies and hate your, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be chips off the old block, that you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. Loving and agreeing are not the same thing. But God has left us here for such a time as this that we love those who God puts around us and we pursue them and point them to Jesus Christ and look to see how in the world can we come alongside and gain credibility to point them to their, to vertically point them to hope in Jesus Christ. So our mission is fairly simple. Let me tell you, only those you have to love, all right? So you might want to write this down. This is like, this is rocket science. I'm going to tell you the only people you need to love. The only people you need to love are those whom God loves. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so we look to say, God, may your ways come about, and until your ways come about, may we, build <clears throat> may we build bridges to people. May we point them to Jesus Christ. And then David moves into, which I think is genius for him, and it's uh, found in verse 23. And it's, it changes from talking about those who live antithetically to God's word and then he points back to himself, and look at this. He says in verse 23, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. So when he says, search me, he's not just saying, do a quick flyover. Don't just hide your plane over me at all. In fact, the word search means to explore, to examine thoroughly, to be searched out, to be found out. To be examined. And so what he says is not only do other people need to follow you. It needs to start with me. And that is an issue called repentance. That it's an about face that we, we allow God to speak to us. And notice this. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Because he knows how we think leads to how we act and how we act leads to habits and habits lead to character and so he goes to root issue saying god would you search deep and go to the go to the core search my heart see if i have attitudes see if i have actions that are out of alignment and then he moves on and i like the way uh tony evans put it. he said so let us pray that god's spirit would help us understand ourselves rightly so that we can repent where necessary and enjoy intimate fellowship with him as he leads us in the everlasting way. So it's an invitation 
that you would say, God, would you search me? Every day, would you search me and look at my, look at my heart and see how I'm driven, see what my motives are. Test me and see if it's the way you want. Verse 24, point out anything. You ought to circle that, highlight it, underline it. Point out anything in me that offends you. And then lead me along the path of everlasting life. And when he uses the word point out anything that offends me or is hurtful, some translate this as the idolatrous way. You see, anything we put in the place of Jesus Christ becomes an idol. And so he's saying, will you look at my life and are there any areas in my life, any areas in my character, any areas in relationships, any areas in my work life, any areas in my school life, any areas in my life whatsoever where you are not driving and making the calls, where I'm not yielding to you. God, I don't want anything else to be uh, in place of you. I don't want those idols. I want it to be you. So show me that, any area that it would become an idolatrous way, and then lead me in the everlasting way. In other words, change my egomyopic thinking to God's kingdom thinking. Similar to Psalm 77. In Psalm 77, he begins by talking about when I look at all my problems and look at all the things that are wrong, all he sees is what he has right in front of him. And then there's change uh, in Psalm 77 where he begins to realize the greatness of God once again. And it's a change of perspective. And that's what, what the psalmist is saying here. David is saying, lead me in the everlasting way. Don't, don't lead me into the small way of thinking. Don't lead me to be just like the culture. Lead me to be driven by godly living and godly thinking. In order to have God's blessing and protection, we must humble honor him, and obey his commands. All we've read through Psalm 139 is available to us, but everything rises and falls on the issue of repentance, of saying, God, I repent of trying to do, make life work apart from you, and I want my life to be lived in according with what you want. I want you to hear from uh, our founding pastor, Brett Young. We had a discussion this week and I thought you might enjoy hearing uh, his take on uh, the issue of repentance. Well, I want to ask you a couple questions. What does it look like for you to give God access to all areas of your life? What, what goes through your mind to make that happen? <clears throat> well, according to uh, verses 17 and 18, God's got access to all of my life, whether I like it or not. That his thoughts toward me are precious and fast. You know, I, it, it just kind of blows my mind that he's always present. I think Paul Tillich wrote a book called The Eternal Now. That God is the now. He's always present. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't say yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's like he he breaks through the time constraints. Yesterday, today, and forever. And that he knows me. The problem is I'm not aware of him mm -hmm. 24-7. And I don't think he would expect 
I don't think he expects us to be. I mean, he's given us work to take our attention. When I was watching the Chiefs game Sunday, I wasn't like reviewing my verses or thinking about God. And I wasn't praying because the game was really never in doubt. And uh, I'm in his thoughts. And anytime I would want to say something to him or uh, bring him into some situation that he's there. He's not, he's never playing catch up. He's always caught up. I'm the one that's playing catch up. Right. Right. So tell me what practices do you have in place that realign you to God's presence? Yeah. Well, ever since I over 50 years ago began to follow Christ, it was impressed on me that a dis- discipleship is daily. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, that we take up our cross daily and follow him. So this thing of being a Christian isn't a weekly thing. Mm -hmm. It's a daily thing. So how am I going to daily uh, point myself toward God? He's always pointed toward me. So how am I daily going to point myself toward him? You know, one practice is to engage something in the Bible, the word, on pretty much an everyday basis. And I'm not legalistic on this. Um, I might miss a day or two, and but I try not to let it be a long number of days because then I just kind of get lost. And so the Bible kind of brings me back to the presence and awareness of God. And I don't read it for information. I read it for relationship. So when I'm reading the Bible, I'm thinking about what it's saying to me. Um, what is what is this challenging in me? So that's one practice. And I think another practice, and this has been probably more true in the last 10 years than all the other decades, is a time of daily repentance. A time where... I think now, what is it in my thoughts or my attitudes or my actions in the past day that, you know, really need to be corrected, that were wrong or going the wrong way? I take time to really think that through every day. And I also, when I'm repenting, I'm thinking of what might lie ahead of me today. Psalm 119, 59 and 60, I'll share with you guys. From the Living Bible, it says, I thought about the wrong direction I was going, and I turned around and came running back to you. Wow. That's 119 what? 59 and 60. Wow, that's a great verse. So it becomes, you know, this whole thing of repentance becomes a rhythm in my life to say, you know, I don't need that. It's not going to do anything for me, so I'm going to flee from that. Thanks, Brent. Appreciate your investment in New Cup for all these years. It matters to us, and we're grateful for you. Thank you very much. It is never too late to come running back to Jesus. And if you are looking uh, for some scripture reading, I laid it out ahead or earlier on. 
but in the U version, uh, the study that we started last week, it runs for two weeks. So this would be such a great study for you to do, Experiencing God's Power and Presence uh, by Chip Ingram. It'll introduce you to the power of God and the presence of God. It'll be a great place to run back to God. Uh, let's pray together, and then we'll uh, give our offerings uh, online. And then those of you that are here, uh, there's a place for you to give uh, as you leave this morning. Your giving makes a difference. I still am amazed at our ability to be able to help those who come in and need help and for us to be able to move forward with our ministries. Thank you, New Cup, for being a generous church. Father, I pray that we would run back to you quickly. I pray that we would not wait. I pray that today, even right now, that if we are putting our hope and trust in something else or someone else, that we would stop immediately in our tracks and turn around and run back to you. Thank you that you are with us, that you'll never leave us, that you'll never forsake us. Thank you that you think about us and that you long for us to put our hope and trust in you. God, may that be the kind of uh, people we are who look to you and you alone. Father, help us not just to hear your word. Help us to do something with what you've said to us today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.